an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and we've got Kevin Wilson with us. Howdy. Hey Kevin, how's it going? Oh, it's going all right. Living the dream. Awesome. How how was your Independence Day? We didn't get a chance to uh, talk about. Yeah, that. no, we haven't caught up on that yet. Yeah, no, uh, it, it was a good weekend. It was a solid weekend. Uh, spent a ton of time outside. Grilled some steaks. Made some sourdough bread. It was a terrible weekend to make bread, but I, I did. I jumped on that bandwagon very late. Made some sourdough bread. Turned out nice. Now, is sourdough bread, is that the, the non-rising bread or the double-baked bread? Somebody was telling me about it. Is that the one that takes, like, a really long time to make? It does take a long time. you, you got to make, like, a, a yeast starter. Uh, like, and it's you got to feed it and keep kind of, like, keeping this bowl of, like, soupy flour alive and bubbling. And then you turn that into bread. So, and, it, and it's, it's very good. It's like a sour tart bread. It's homemade. Interesting. But, it, so you said you feed it like it, you, you give it like a little beer every day or some crackers or what? Uh, what do you, some flour. <laughs> you got to throw some, some flour. flour in there. Yeah. Nice. Very yeah. cool. So sourdough bread and steaks. That sounds great. Did you did you see family? Did you stay in the area? No, I stayed in the area. The, the only outdoor activity I, I did. Well, I did kayaking. I went to Canandaigua Lake. Lake. It was a mess. There's just a million people there, but it's yeah. all right. It's a good time. Nice, nice. So uh, while while you were at the lake, tons and tons of people. Uh, did did we have social distancing, mask wearing? Were people wearing the masks while swimming? What would no. uh, tell me about uh, it? Uh, no, no one was wearing the mask while swimming, which is fine. Everyone, everyone's far apart. Who cares? You know, you, you don't need to wear a mask in that situation. It's it's fine. Now, I, I don't know if everyone on the boats together was uh, you know related to each other, living in the same household, not wearing masks. You know, but. That's their business, I guess. Yeah. But outdoors, it's relatively low risk, no matter what. And that was fine. You know, went out there, did that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I like it. Again, you're outside. You're out to just, uh, you know, enjoying the outdoors. I don't really think you need a mask for that type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I, I think probably at this point, many situations, if not most, uh, there, there's probably no reason other than personal comfort to wear a mask. Um, but that, that does make me think, can, can COVID transmit in the water? I mean, that's a, that's a question. I've... Oh, there's a story about it oh, uh, a few weeks there? ago. Oh, yeah. wow. I just walked into that. Let's hear it, Kevin. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I read the oh, headline. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to bother reading the whole article about that. Why would I inform myself? But, but there's a, a study that someone was trying to conduct to see if, like, beaches – could be a conduit for spreading COVID-19 because what if it could live in the water for a while and people could swallow it, even though 
I mean, you think about like how big a, a, a lake is like this and how low of a chance it is for someone to, you know, ingest water that someone had like sneezed into. Yeah, I mean, chances are you probably got a better chance of ingesting water that somebody peed in, especially if oh, it's way Lake better Ontario. Chance. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? What, what was the highlight of your Independence Day weekend besides listening to the the beautiful sounds of fireworks in the city? Mm, well, see, I wasn't in the city. I was in Allegheny County down in the southern tier. Um but we still heard fireworks. It was great. Uh, we had an awesome bonfire, nice big fire in the back there. Um, we had some fireworks. It, it was a good time. I spent the weekend sleeping in my hammock, so that was pretty nice. Uh, went on a couple hikes, uh, did a little bit of four-wheeling. Um, we did have a helicopter fly over us at night, which was kind of interesting. Um, That's weird. Yeah, it, it was weird, especially because there were some pretty big fireworks going off, like not where we were, but kind of in the general area. And I, I think it might've been one of the towns. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, but I wouldn't want to be flying a helicopter around <laughs> with, with, you know, fireworks going off and stuff. I, I'm sure they were safe. I'm sure they felt fine. And obviously they were comfortable enough that they were doing it. Um, but it doesn't seem like something I would have done. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not with a, Helicopter, that seems kind of dangerous. But here in the city, I'm glad I didn't pay for any fireworks because there's a free show all around me. I didn't need to do it? anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like literally my, my backyard's a park, just full commercial-grade fireworks in my backyard going off. It, it kind of died down after midnight. But, yeah. 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 But, yeah, it's, I uh, mean, it's pretty interesting. You know, some of the fireworks that I've seen that – are clearly being purchased by individuals are pretty impressive. And I want to know, where do you get those fireworks from? Like the cops provided them, cost, you know, I want Andrew, I want... Andrew, the police provided them. Haven't oh, you read? <laughs> I need to get on that list. That's a government list. I, I know. Right. <laughs> where, do I, fireworks list. where do I sign up? Yeah. yeah. I know, <laughs> I know. Mo mo most of those are coming in from Pennsylvania. Uh, people just driving down doing that. Uh, even though we do have now a city council member in Rochester and a county legislature calling for the ban of all fireworks mm. because, well, do you know you who know, those are off the top? Yes, of your I head? do. Mitch yeah. Gruber and Rachel Barnhart. Uh, I saw them post about that, uh, and I'll see if I can find the status and share it because they said, well, you know, we gotta uh, ban all fireworks because everyone can't be getting these from Pennsylvania. They must be getting some of the stuff that they're selling legally here, so we need to crack down on it more. We need to ban all fireworks in Monroe County. You know, it's funny because the reason fireworks came back into New York State is the government realized how much tax money they were losing by not allowing the sale in New York State. And those two elected officials in particular are always talking about how they need more government funding, more of their fair share, and some of the other stuff so they're literally talking about turning the hose off and cutting the cash flow down even more, especially at a time when the government probably shouldn't be so picky and choosy about where their money's coming from. Yeah, right. <laughs> and on top of that, like the big giant fireworks that sound like bombs going off, those aren't the ones they're selling in the Walmart parking lots. That's not what that is. Like I bought some from a Walmart parking lot. I bought like a, we call them like jumping jacks, right? They go mm -hmm. and, they, and they, they, they light up and that's it. 
or they shoot off sparks on the ground, they're not the ones making the big booms. That's people getting those. Their theory is that there couldn't possibly be enough of a robust illegal market for that many fireworks to be going off. But have you seen any of the uh, the sky views of cities around the country of fireworks going off? No, they had I one. Haven't. Oh, they had one of Rochester, but there's a time lapse. I'll see if I can find that one too. Uh, but there's one of L.A. that's unreal, and it's not a time lapse. It's a live view, and literally hundreds of massive fireworks going off every second. Wow, that's crazy. Well, and I, I think you said something kind of important there. You said that they don't believe that the black market is is that prevalent. Is that is that what you said? Because if that's the case, I'd that like is... to point them to um, you know the heroin overdoses and everything else that we're yeah. having in the city of Rochester, and and kind of look back at them scratching my head, saying, "You think that the black market isn't that readily available?" I don't no, know. where where there's a demand. Someone will come up with a supply. People like fireworks. People think fireworks are fun. I mean, not everyone, but some people think fireworks are fun. And they're willing to pay for them. So people are willing to go out and get them. Yeah. And so, yeah, and then the only thing making them, the, the small fireworks more illegal will do, will be to provide an excuse for police to be able to stop and investigate people in the neighborhoods that they are allegedly trying to defend. It's going to create more bad police interactions. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, it's interesting, too, um, seeing the neighborhood groups talking about the issue of fireworks. Because, uh, yeah, in, in some areas, I guess it's pretty disruptive. Um, where I am, I don't know, maybe I'm just sleeping through it. And, you know, my dogs don't care. But, you know, usually what I do when I get a dog, I, after they get comfortable with the environment, I take them to the range with me so they get used to you know, those type of noises. So my dogs will sleep right through it. Um, yeah. But I know other people, they have dogs who who are, you know, very scared. Um, I know people are having trouble sleeping. And it would be really interesting to see what type of solutions neighborhood groups can come up with that doesn't involve government force and doesn't involve uh, the police coming in and fining people. Um, I think there's merit to a noise ordinance, especially yeah. with a non-aggression you know, principle, the idea that um, your enjoyment shouldn't be, like, infringing on somebody else's enjoyment. So I, I think there's some good libertarian answers and options out there. Um, I don't know that they necessarily have to be police force. Um, but there, I, I could be persuaded that there could be something there as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, it, it does impose a... Uh you know, a, a cost on other people when you're setting off fireworks, right? Like, it's, it is it is disturbing. It can hurt your animal, or not hurt your animals, but it can, it can drive them nuts. And sometimes they do hurt themselves in that process. Like, I, I get why people get upset about fireworks, but I don't think that government's always the solution to that. I think we could figure out something new. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to take a brief break here. We're going to be back on Radio Free New York. You're listening to Radio Free New York. 
Alright, welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We've got Kevin Wilson here with us, and uh, we're just kind of wrapping up a discussion about 4th of July, fireworks, fireworks that are bothering people, um, elected officials that don't think that the black market is just that good, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get whatever you want on the black market. Yeah, it, it's just so surprising to me that it, I, I would say elected officials, but I'd say probably anybody um, who thinks that the black market is difficult to access, but then maybe pushes really hard for the war on drugs or pushes for some sort of thing that's illegal to have um, stricter punishment. And it's like, but you don't think that the black market is thriving. How do you think these people got access to this stuff to begin with that's already illegal? So, yeah. free markets find a way. They always do. Yeah. So it is. It's, I mean, that's what black market is. It's it's operating outside of uh, the approval of government. That's what it is. So, fireworks. Yeah. If you if you want them in the city of Rochester, ain't that hard to get? Really? Apparently ain't. not. <laughs> Based no. on all the posts on the Facebook groups I'm seeing. Oh yeah. No people are freaking out. And again, I kind of get it. I'm sympathetic. I, I'm lucky. My dog is totally cool with fireworks. He doesn't care. You know, he's he gets upset when, you know, people set him off in the park next to the house. But that's about it. But I think it's more like he doesn't he doesn't like people making a bunch of noise in the park at night. Sure, sure. But, that makes sense. So but, o- over the weekend, it sounds like you, you went to a, um, a BLM rally as well, right? Is that – that was this weekend? I, so I did. I mean, there, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Like there was a – there's one on 4th of July. Uh, I, I think it had a name that I can't say on the radio. Um, but there was uh, there's one then. I didn't go to that one. Uh, and it was a cookout, I guess. And I was okay. like, ah, oh, that, that seems fun. But also, like, if you're concerned about COVID-19, being in a large group of people eating food seems like it violates social distancing rules. But, you know, what do I know? I'm not a doctor. How do I know? But stayed away from that one. The one I did attend was uh, it was it started at Cobbs Hill in Rochester and it crossed over into Brighton. And it was a a Black Lives Matter rally related to education, uh, discrimination and segregation. Um, And so, you know, there's there's activists there talking about how um, Rochester and the, the city school districts that surround it are some of the most segregated school districts in the country. Um, which is, you know, you can look that up. That's that's true. Uh, Rochester has, like, I think five of the ten top uh, most segregated school districts in the United States, according to several lists from people who are concerned about that thing. And, and, and just out of curiosity, so when we're talking about segregation, are we talking about um, students, diversity, and staff? What, what What is, like, how are they defining those In this case, those things? they're defining it as students okay. where the city of rochester schools tend to be not always but often are predominantly black and are underperforming and then over these town lines like in brighton or a little bit further out in pittsford they tend to be predominantly white and tend to perform a lot better and tend to have a larger tax base to they say pull resources to be able to uh fund the activities of the school 
Okay. Right? All right. So they're saying, you know, and the, the schools with the minorities um, have a lower income tax base and get less, we'll call it advantages, less funds. Um, and then when you step into the suburbs, they have, you know, wealthy people who are paying higher taxes. It's predominantly white people with access to more money. Is that a good right. summary? So that's that's a good summary. Although in Rochester, we should keep in mind that the school taxes come in part from the state instead of mm. all the funding coming from the the property tax base by itself. It's more like the funding comes from the state and then city council and the mayor have to approve that funding and the school board has to approve that funding. But it, it kind of the big five districts of which Rochester is one comes from the state. So that's a way of doing it. And, and Rochester, of course, spends a ton per student. Um, so, yeah. and, and well, we thought we've more per student than I think any district it might be in the state, if I recall. Yeah. So they, they average out, I think it's about $28,000 a year per student. Um, and I think Pittsburgh, because I think I saw the numbers recently, is significantly lower at the cost of, I think, like $13,000 a student. Or maybe it was 15000 might have been Brighton, one of those two. Yeah. Um, so this March was, again, going from Rochester into Brighton to kind of point out the arbitrary lines that divide communities and divide school districts that perform very, very differently across a short span of space right and they correctly pointed out and i think that it i think it's correct to point out that the school districts in the area are very segregated and they correctly pointed out that this was a consequence of intentional government intervention to create segregation decades ago that it wasn't something that just happened it was something that was intentional where suburbs and school districts made it very, very difficult for African-American families to move to those areas. And realtors often wouldn't show or sell houses in those areas. And oftentimes there were uh, legal covenants preventing houses in the suburbs and some neighborhoods in Rochester from selling to people who are black. And that was all endorsed and, and enforced by the government. And, and other things like zoning laws also helped create some of that too. So they correctly pointed out that this was a problem that was largely created by government and that these school district lines are a way of reinforcing a sense of um, racial hierarchy that was dominating the government you know, throughout the 20th century. So... What's their solution to that, though? That's... Oh, well, we know. Come on. More government, Kevin. More government. The only it's way to government. fix bad government is to put more government on top of it and spend more money. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much... For anybody who's listening yeah. right now and who may not be familiar with my point of view, uh, that is sarcasm. Yeah. No, uh, but that, that, that's, that's kind of what it ended up being, right? And, of course, you know, I, there, there, were, there were great speeches by particularly some of the children there who talked about their experiences with uh, racism in the suburban school districts. Uh, you know, young children made to feel conscious of their skin color because of the students and the teachers around them. You know, and, th and that's something absolutely 
we need the work to address. Children shouldn't have to face this stuff. You know, it's in, in students are talking about how, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, they're made to feel ashamed of their bodies, of their hair, of their heritage. And that's not okay. We need to find a ways to address that effectively. Now, some of their solutions for that, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure it actually dismantles things in a way that's going to, or, or addresses things in a way that's going to, to lead to more effective outcomes. A lot of it's, um, they want to hire like more diversity officers and create diversity committees and Okay. Well, and I, I think we see this in, in every big government solution. The first thing that people say, you know, it, it, part of this is a culture that we've created, which is government is here to protect you. Government is here to fix all your problems and government's here to provide for you. So when people who grow up in that instance, in that mindset, um, which I think for many of us, that's the environment we start in. Um, and of course, the, the first thing, like we've talked about so many times on this show, when somebody comes up with a solution, the solution is start a committee, form yeah. a commission, hire uh, this person here. And, you know, we've been through this so many times. We know what that really means, which is spend a lot of taxpayer dollars. And usually that job or that contract or that commission goes to some elected person's friend, family member, business acquaintance, something somebody benefits generously on the taxpayer dime and then what we see at the end of the day is no real change in fact sometimes all we see is just a report finding the things that we already knew were a problem and then but at least we spend a bunch of money on it yeah Yeah. (laughs) absolutely guys you're listening to radio free new york when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about this let's talk about maybe what there could be in terms of real solutions We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. listening to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We've got Kevin Wilson here. We were just talking about Kevin's experience over the weekend. Um, There was a BLM rally, and it sounds like the purpose of this rally was to um, raise awareness about segregation in the local school districts. Is that is that a good summary, or was there was there more yeah. to that, Kevin? That, it's, that's generally what the point of the rally was. You know, so again, I, I went to, to listen, to talk to folks, to kind of see what people were saying about this issue, because, you know, I, I get that it's a thing, right? I, I get that people are concerned about segregation, and people are concerned about educational outcomes, particularly um the educational outcomes that are pretty poor in the city school district, you know, and, and, you know, of course I, I don't talk about Smith, but I'm running for office. And that's one of the issues I talk about is education. Well, there are solutions to that though. Uh, of course, as, as we talked about, they want to, um, hire diversity offers. They want to have an anti-racism tax force. They have had 
like listening sessions, although the activists here felt that that wasn't adequate to uh, address the needs, and they felt like the um, voices of, of black individuals was being silenced in that process. And I don't know enough about what was going on specifically in Brighton to know if that's legitimate or not. Um, but they do want mandatory like educational training on these issues too, which, you know, could be good or not. It's, I guess it really, the, uh, the effectiveness of that is really dependent on, on what, what kind of educational training that they're providing. It could be, it could be good or it could be struggle sessions where people are just, you know, languishing over the religion of being woke. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I think, um, I, I think though that at what you're describing, I think could be an opportunity for common ground. Um, yeah. And here's why. So if if BLM and the community that supports them and the people who came to this rally and and other people who hear about it and hear the numbers and and many of us too who have seen the city school district fail year after year after year. Um, if one of the things that they're pushing for is that they want to add curriculum to the school in terms of uh, teaching what discrimination is maybe or discussing segregation, um, well, everything's controlled top down here in New York, which sure means is. that's going to have to go through the governor. That's going to have to go through like an alteration in common core. So maybe it's an opportunity for people to get together and say, hey, you want to see changes in the education system? We have to dismantle Common Core. We, we have to get the state out of controlling education so that you can have a say in the Rochester City School District, so you can have a say in the curriculum that's being taught to your kids. Um, and that doesn't just extend to this issue. That extends to every other issue in education. Um, so no, so I don't know. I, I feel like that's a conversation that uh, could could start building a bridge um, to making some serious change here in New York. You know, I thought the same thing. <laughs> of course, you, you, of course you kind you of did. expect... You don't like big government either, Kevin. Come yeah. on. <laughs> well, you know, I, I thought we were on the same page. You know, I heard some of the, the criticisms of the students there, and they said, hey, we were taught, like, the Civil War was about ending slavery initially, and that's really not what it was about. We thought that the the South had seceded to protect states' rights. And, you know, as these young students dug into the historical issues deeper, they said, oh, maybe that's that's not so true, right? Or they, you know, they were taught a certain uh, process of, you know, like segregation. Like, how did that work in America's uh, cities in the late 19th and early 20th century that they thought didn't adequately address the government's role in helping to facilitate that process and enforce that process and the violence that went with it. And, you know, they felt that African-American history, from a positive point of view, wasn't taught effectively. Okay. You know, and, and I, I, I can see that criticism of the Common Core history curriculum. Fine. My solution to that, and I think you, you, you'd probably be along the same route, is like, but we need to find ways for students to be able to explore those issues on their own outside of 
the established school curriculum to be able to connect with teachers from anywhere, either in other districts in the area or digitally, to be able to do a deep dive into some of those other aspects of history while still understanding the important parts of, of learning history, which is gathering evidence and building a narrative. Now, of course, I brought this up with one of the organizers of the rally, um, a woman named Robin Wilt, who was running in the Democratic primary uh, for the New York 25th Congressional District, and she did not win. Uh, she it, the absent opponent team, then, right? Would have been my opponent, yep. yeah, okay. if, if she had won the primary. So I, I, I found her and I started talking to her, and, you know, I was like, I agree. Government caused man these things. You know, what can we do about it? You know, like, and she had mentioned, she, she said that we should make bigger districts, which I'm not sure that necessarily solves the problem because I think Rochester would probably still end up being its own district, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and I and I mentioned, like, you know, are there ways for students to be and parents to be able to connect to other outside resources that the school district either can't or won't provide? And shouldn't parents have more choice in the type of educational program that the students are getting? Oh, and that's where she got defensive. That she said, no, 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 absolutely not. Charter schools have failed. Every charter school has failed. And I was like, every charter school has failed? Everyone? Well, statistically, Did you ask her if every city school has failed. Oh yeah, that's what, that, that's what that's why I followed up with us. Like, well, you know, a, a lot of public schools are are failing. Like, we're, we're looking at what's going on in Rochester, and she's like, well, that's because of segregation. I was like, yeah, but like, a lot of students and, and families in Rochester want to check out these charter schools because they might provide a better opportunity for those students to learn and thrive than the school that they're being told to go to, which oftentimes is across the city hard to get to and doesn't perform well where they can get a charter school in their neighborhood that does marginally better and again i'm not married to the idea of charter schools uh i just think that i understand why parents want to look at those because it's a better alternative than the public schools that they're being assigned to well, what's, what's really interesting, too, and, and people may or may not know this, the way the city school district works specifically is the city school district has multiple high schools. You basically apply to get into those high schools. You give them their top three, and then they place you by whatever criteria um, that they have. And that that doesn't – it gives you like the kind of like the illusion of choice, but they really put you wherever, and you don't even necessarily get into the school – that you're hoping to get into so it, it's it's definitely um interesting it's more interesting that the idea is oh a bigger district when i wonder if she would be the type and, and people who who maybe think um i've i've heard this same thing very often that monroe county should just be one school district yeah those same people i do wonder do they oppose something like a voucher system where you have a voucher and you can just go to whatever school, what's called in the state that you want yeah, to go right? to, you present your voucher and you're allowed in there. Uh, to me, that that's almost a better system. I know there's there's a lot of logistics to figure out, um, but then it's people bunch... would be able to compete to get into the schools that they want to get into. Now, I'm sure the argument could be made that, well, the school only accepts the best, which will lead to another form of segregation where – you know, low-performing students are going to end up in low-performing schools anyways. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'd imagine that's what the argument ends up being. But again, wouldn't that be a better solution for many students than what we have now by expanding choices? And again, my, my idea is that you don't even have to be limited to the geography of Monroe County. How can we connect with educators from anywhere to be able to build curriculums that meet a student's interests and needs at the time, right? You know, like go, going to, you know, if you live in Parrington and there's a good school option in Rochester, that's great if you have the transportation to get there and vice versa. If, if you're a Rochester State student and you want to go to a, a Brighton school and you have the way to get there, that's cool. Um, and I think that would certainly mix some things up. But again, I don't think it's thinking big enough. And I think adding that with private options, with schools competing against one another, I think it would be a good thing. I think it would be a better thing than what we have now. And I know it's not going to work perfect for every single student, but my goodness, we can't compare ourselves to the perfection that progressives imagine public schools to be because they ain't. They're failing. Yeah. For sure. Well, and I think, um, and I, I talked about this in the past. I have to see if I could find the episode about how we have the technology today. We have the opportunity today. We could actually implement amazing changes in these districts while leveraging technology, remote learning, um, and and even AI to determine exactly what a child's needs are, how they learn and then match them with a teacher who teaches in that style and understands that kid's needs. Exactly. There, there are cool, innovative ways to do this, you know, outside of government bureaucrats dictating every single part of education. Yep, no, absolutely. All right, guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We're going to carry this conversation on into the last segment here. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We've got Kevin Wilson here with us. We're talking about the BLM rally that happened over the weekend in Rochester. And Kevin, it sounds like there's some other policy proposals that uh, were brought up or, or points of view. Yeah. I mean, besides not being able to talk to folks about what I thought were very reasonable solutions to give more options for African-American students living in the city and suffering under the public school system. Um, there's some other stuff in there that I think is a little bit more agreeable, which is if there are incidents of racism in a school district, they're asking the Brighton School District to document those and be transparent about them. Okay, Seems fair enough. Yep. Yeah, it's easy enough. Um, and then they also want to look at the uh, code of conduct as well. Uh, a lot of codes of conduct are positioned to, uh, you know, punish students in a way that detracts from that student's education and not merely make sure that a problem is removed from a classroom when they're being disruptive to the entire learning process. And that's... You know, it, that's complicated. I'm not a teacher, but, you know, I have heard criticism and I've seen instances of this happen where African-American students allegedly in, in many classrooms 
face more of these punishments under the code of conduct than their white peers and understanding how that process reflects on their education and their ability to learn and feel safe in the classroom is important. I think, I think that's fair enough to look at. Right. So, and so I, it sounds, sounds like what's, what's being said is that maybe there's a, well, maybe a rubric for punishment doesn't exist. I, I don't know. I would, I kind of would think that there would cause teachers like rubrics and you know, all that. So one would think that the school would have one, uh, but maybe not, but that, Maybe people are being kind of let slid through, whereas yeah. um, minorities not so much. So there's like an unequal application of punishment as a result. Yeah, and that's how it kind of goes. And I get sometimes you're going to have to do things a little bit differently. Like I like restorative justice models, right? Like me being the hippie I am, apparently. Like all right, like if a student like gets in a fight with another student. I don't think the right answer is always send them to OSS, like or, or suspend them, right? Sometimes the right answer is like find a way for those students to make up with each other and to make it right, to make them whole, right? Find a way to build reconciliation rather than, all right, we're just going to send this student home for a week. Yeah. I get that. That's sometimes the case. And a lot of schools do try to do this, but, you know, there's, there's zero tolerance policies in place where, you know, dumb hormone filled boys do dumb things out of outrage and end up kind of screwing up their entire educational process instead of giving the help that they need to like manage their issues or to fix a problem that they caused. Like, you know, if they break something, okay, like how can that student pay for that or whatever, do something to make it right. And I think we, we kind of lose that in some of the school process. I know well, some I, teachers I, try to do it, but. And I think this this speaks to um, another thing about our education system now, which is the fact that our education system is not preparing students for life. And part of that is I don't think the education system was ever meant to do that. The education system was meant to educate and parents were supposed to prepare their children for life. But that hasn't been happening for like decades so now we have people asking the education system to handle the parenting, but it the education system doesn't align with real-world scenarios. So that no. idea that two kids who get into a fight are just immediately punished, or maybe one punished more than the other, doesn't align with the fact that in life you need mediation. And like we literally have mediators that people hire and courts that do mediation and all this other stuff. Instead, what we're teaching students is you get into a fight and the problem goes away maybe with a timeout, which just doesn't match to real life um, and yeah. it's, those, it doesn't teach the skill they need. No, the, those soft skills that students need to learn, like the emotional skills that students need to learn, I think are almost more important in many ways than some of the academic skills like for thriving in the workplace is you know, how do you interact with people in a positive way. In a lot of classrooms – that's shut down, right? Like they're like, there's like no talking, obey the rules, follow the curriculum, rote memorization. That's what it is. And I know before teachers get mad, I know that's not what it's like in every classroom, but it's what it's like in some classrooms. So students don't learn those skills to interact with people, to address conflict. You just have this outside force, this teacher who's trying to, or, or an administrator who's trying to address all those problems for you. 
and you need to find ways to navigate those conflicts, you know, on the playground, on the basketball court, in the hallways, in a way that's productive for you. I'm not saying no intervention when someone's getting hurt. I'm just saying some of those soft skills, because the school sets up an environment where they have a lot of control, end up never being learned in the first place. Yeah, in addition well, to all the... It almost relates to over-policing in the school itself where you know they they take so much control over the situation that the students do not get the opportunity to learn appropriate interactions when there's a problem with inappropriate interactions yeah exactly so you know how do you how do you do that right if parents are outsourcing their soft skill teaching ability to schools and schools don't allow the freedom to be able to learn those skills in the first place we're ending up with adults who may or may not have memorized a curriculum but don't have any other functional adult skills after that. So in college or in the workforce, they need remedial education to get back up to the point of being functional. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing it takes away is kind of that critical thinking skill, that you know, idea of identifying a problem and then coming up with your own solution to resolve that problem. And I would agree, the way we do testing has made education turn into more of a memorization game than a problem-solving game. Um, and even to the point where, like, I'll, I'll give math as an example. With, with the way Common Core math is taught, they want students to show their work in a specific way for full credit. Well, guess what? A lot of us learn math a very different way. And we can arrive to the same answer, and, and being very biased with the way I do it, I think it's a lot more efficient. I think it's more accurate. You know, that that's me. Um, and if a student shows that they arrive to the answer in a correct way but different than the school wants them to arrive there, they lose points on their work. So you, you actually, in school, could be punished for coming up with a more efficient and accurate way of doing things, yet lose credit and technically be punished and taught that in life being efficient um, and intelligent and making your own decisions actually harms you instead of helps you. Yeah. I mean, I we don't have time to get into I, I had plenty of experiences like that in school where, but hey, well, what about this? It seems like based on the evidence that this should be answered, and here's how I got to it, and they're like, well, that's not what the book says, so no points. Yeah. That's where our yeah. school's teaching. It's, it's a, a terrible environment for any child to grow up in, and I think that carries on to a lot of issues, especially with work ethics um, in the future. Guys, thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Free New York. We're going to be back same time, same place tomorrow. Thank you.